0: You're listening to the MyMac.com podcast with your host, Tim Robertson.
1: This week, we interview Harry McCracken, creator of the Technologizer website. We also look at the FCC investigation of Apple and AT&T over the Google Voice app rejection, as well as delays to, oh, this bums me out, StarCraft II. Thanks for downloading the podcast. Enjoy. is tim robertson i host the mymac.com podcast this is episode number 252 of our weekly show and joining me as always is david cohen from the uk oh wait no david cohen from tennessee that's how we're going to introduce you
2: that's right nashville
3: nashville okay i'm (laughs) waiting for you to explain that to me you don't remember it's it's
2: your it's your southern drawl
3: yeah you just sound like you're from
1: No? Well, shucks. <laughs> wow, that's really bad. Don't ever do yeah. that again for the rest of Please. your life.
2: <laughs> right now, everyone from Nashville is uh, is starting to uh, write down their death threats. That's right. Uh, Guy Suri, you're also here. Yes, yes, I am. Wasn't expecting you, so I'm glad you made it. I'm glad I made it, too. Good to be here.
1: You know, a year ago, almost exactly to the day, um, I think we're off by like uh, four days, but you know how the years go, it's... We don't record the same uh, right. on the same date. We, we go by day, which is Thursdays. But uh, a year ago, we had an interview with Harry McCracken, and he was just launching. Go ahead and save it. Say it, guy. Come uh,
2: on. The Technologizer. Ah,
1: I was trying to catch Very you. Very good. <laughs> and I thought it would be great to have you back, Harry, so welcome to the show. It's good to be back again finally. So it's been an entire year when you were last on the show. This was a brand new venture for you. Obviously, you couldn't predict whether you'd be still doing the same thing a year from now, whether PC Mag would fall down on their knees and beg you to come back. You didn't know what was going to happen.
0: PC World. Uh, PC World. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's kind of amazing. I mean, when I when I decided to do this um, I thought it was a good idea and then the Media World kind of came crashing down really within a few weeks of, of me getting going, and it's been an interesting experience uh, and a really good one. I've been having the time of my life. Boy. And oddly enough, when I when I left PC World a year ago, it had two major competitors in the print world, PC Magazine and Computer Shopper, and those guys are both gone, and so PC World has, has managed to... Uh, Hang on and as the, the, the last um, last sort of man standing
2: in, kind of thing.
0: Yeah, it's the last sort of general interest computer magazine standing and it's and is doing surprisingly well given what the magazine business is like.
1: So did you have more success in this last year than you were expecting or is it kind of right on plan for you?
0: You know, I'd say for the most part it's it's tracked pretty closely to what I anticipated. It, it certainly turned out to be a more challenging time uh, in the media business just in terms of advertising, but things are, things are going well and in terms of traffic and visitors. It's very close to what I expected. Uh, there, there have been a lot of pleasant surprises and things I didn't anticipate, like, you know, for instance, Twitter turning out to be really a, a pretty major part of, of how Technologizer communicates to the world.
1: Yeah, in fact, today a big news story for the tech industry was Twitter had its first DoD attack, um, yeah, they,
0: they, they, and it really was kind of shut down this morning. I, they seem to be up now.
1: Oh, DOS, but, not DOD. Um,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> DOS, that's right. They, yeah. were, they were down for a good, what, three or four hours?
0: They, and... Apparently they were completely down in the morning, and then they were really shaky for a while.
2: Now, but, have they determined exactly what happened?
0: I haven't seen. It, it also looks like Facebook was having some troubles as well, so there may be somebody out there who decided to cause problems for social networks today. I
1: don't know. It's. Uh, I hope that never happens to us, but it's so easy to do.
0: It is, it's easy. It's effective. It's hard to stop. Um, and so, yeah, it's. Uh, what do it's you a think? It's about issue? just
1: bragging rights for the hacker who did it, or do you think there's a monetary gain for some company out there to attack a site like Twitter?
0: I don't know. I mean, the thing I always worry about is when when if there are any organizations out there with a lot of resources who want to do things like shut down websites the world kind of needs to to survive um uh and i always wonder if things like this are sort of an early warning of more more serious attacks and cyber warfare It's,
3: it's, it's not hard to do i mean you know for a relatively small investment you can apparently buy yourself access to a botnet to do something like this and um you know, so, I mean, to go back to your question, Guy, about finding out how it happened and, and what it happened, in some ways there's not really much point because uh, you're never going to actually track down the guys responsible. You're just going to find a whole load of infected computers that we used to do it.
2: Yeah, that is a shame. Now, these are mostly, of course, you know, botnets based yeah. off of uh, Windows computers.
1: You know, I think the a lot of the – if you want to call it a problem, is that the Internet was created using very open standards that when one computer talked to another – it was supposed to be a very friendly, hey, I'm here, okay, I'm listening to you. And that's basically the way the Internet was created. I don't know how you would really change that, Harry, by mo- making it more of a closed network. I don't know how that would work.
0: It, and I don't even know if anybody is even working on that. Um, I'm looking at the official Twitter blog, and they are saying that they prefer not to speculate on what was the, the motivation. So it sounds like there are no details.
1: Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that... It, it sucks, but I don't know how they really change it without disrupting the way everything. Everything, you know, every every single website out there would have to update software, and you just—that's yeah, just not going to happen. Oh, guy, stop doing that! <laughs> Are you messing with your mic again, guy?
2: Uh, no, I accidentally hit my ear my earpiece. Uh oh,
1: you got such a big earpiece, and we lost David Cohen. It's a good day so far.
2: Oh goodness.
1: So Harry, looking back over the year, what was the the one or two subjects that you were really excited to cover? That you know that that was the most exciting for you to write about.
0: I mean, there really, there clearly is a single biggest topic at the moment, and that's the iPhone. And I always think back to the fact that PC World was founded in 1982, when um, when the PC was new, and just and there was this whole ecology and economy of products springing around it. Uh, and a lot of the exciting things were actually in the future, and we didn't know about them yet. And I feel like with, with mobile phones in general and with the iPhone specifically, it, it's very similar to the early 80s in PCs. Uh, and as you know, there, there is new stuff to talk about every single day with the iPhone. Much of it great, some of it not so great. And, um, and even more than than Windows or the Mac, um, the iPhone is the platform we're writing about the most right now.
1: It seems like we're talking about it here on this podcast a lot more than I plan to because this is, you know, the My Mac website and podcast. But, you know, the, the iPhone is kind, to, kind of became part of the whole Mac platform. It's it, They don't feel like two separate things to me, do they to you?
0: I, you know, it certainly, technically, there are some differences, as well as all the similarities, because it's the same core platform. But, I mean, I'd say as, as Apple products and Apple operating systems, spiritually, they're really close, and, and they come out of the same philosophies. And and the the iPhone is having a similar impact today as the Mac had um, back in 1984 in, in terms of just changing the game for the whole industry in uh in the blink of an eye by being way more impressive and way more ambitious than, than stuff that had appeared before.
1: What is it about the uh, iPhone that you're enjoying? Obviously, you, you own one. Is it broadcasting from the iPhone? Have you tried that yet? Or is it something that's interesting to you?
0: I uh, haven't done that. I mean, I'm basically, I'm kind of using it as a, as a Swiss Army knife. I take everywhere with me. It's uh, It's my communications device. I had satellite radio in my car, and I got rid of that, and I, I use the iPhone for that. Uh, in some cases, it's my camera. Um, I think the fact that it's the closest thing we've seen so far to a really good personal computer that fits in your pocket is, is what makes it impressive overall.
1: It, it, I, I, it's just an amazing device to me. Guy Soro, you're still relatively new to the iPhone now. Um, yes. Is it... Is it one of those things that you can't imagine what you're doing without it before, or are you still trying to get used to it?
2: Oh, well, I'm I'm still pretty much trying to get used to it. Um, when I, when I went down to Florida last week, I, I, I tried a couple different things. Uh, when I got out of because I t- had a flight from Baltimore down to Fort Lauderdale, so when I when I parked my car in the long term lot, I I tried to find my car app. And, you know, use that to set a GPS location for where I'd actually parked my car. And lo and behold, when I got back home, it worked great.
1: <laughs> Gotta like it when it kind of works great like that. I, yeah. I, I'm using mine for so many things. I, there's not one thing that I use my iPhone for. Although I find I'm playing more video games with it than I ever expected to. Um, it's just this small device that's just easy to, to pick up a quick game and play, but I still don't see it as a serious competitor in the game market as far as hardcore no, gamers. know. do you ever see it becoming a hardcore game type of platform, Harry?
0: Um, I, I tend to think not, but it's, ultimately there are a lot more casual gamers out there than there are hardcore gamers. And, you know, with with stuff like the way we've seen, um, the power of appealing to more casual folks. Um, I think there are still cool. there's still some issues with the fact that the iPhone doesn't have game controllers, and there are some games that work really well with touch, and others that don't. Um, I,
3: th- but I, I think Yes, it's, that, in- yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting you say that, uh, Harry, because uh, uh, I, I read recently that that Nintendo uh, sees iPhone as a competitor to the uh, DS. Um, and, you know, given your comment about casual gaming, I think the, you know, the DS probably is where the iPhone can make some inroads because I think the DS is more of a, you know, it's a casual type of a device rather than the hardcore gaming device.
0: I think so. I mean, I, I you know, personally, uh, I would not buy a DS or a PSP at this point because even though they're better in some ways. It's another device to pay for and carry around, and there's just not enough upside compared to the iPhone, which I have with me, anyhow.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I own both a PSP and a, uh, a, a DS, and I don't use either one of them. I mean, I, I got to physically go to a store to buy games for them, and it's just with the iPhone always with me, it's just too easy to casually browse the iTunes store, find right. a good 99 cent or $1.99 app click buy i'm playing it two minutes later i'm happy i mean that's kind of the power of the iphone i think that's what nintendo and sony's probably worried about
2: well it's also an economy of scale you know if you're going to buy a game for a psp or a ds you're you're going to spend anywhere from 15 to 40 dollars for it whereas you know even even the best games on the iphone are going to cost you under 10 bucks yeah that's
1: true and and you know i'm looking at I follow both video games and computers and iPhones. I follow all that online, and I'm finding more and more that the the video game websites that I've been visiting for years are talking about the iPhone more and more and more. So I think it's interesting. Do you think, Harry, that Windows Seven is going to be a big trending topic on your website
0: soon? And you know, it already is. And in <laughs> fact, I'm working on some of my coverage today. And um, one of the interesting things about running a relatively small site like Technologizer is. I I can't cover everything all the time, so I tend to focus to some degree on the topic of the day, and I I definitely anticipate Windows 7 being significant, uh, especially in October when it comes out. Um, And uh, generally speaking, it's pretty impressive, and I think it does change the game a little bit with with the whole Windows versus Mac wars.
3: I I definitely agree with that. I I mean, this may be difficult for some of our listeners to understand who don't use Windows on a regular basis, but if you have, and you, then you've you've used X. If you've used to, I mean, XP is really old now. If you then have tried to use Vista, which is really quite slow and clunky, and then go to Windows Seven, which really has all the best bits of Windows Vista with the performance of XP, um, you know, it really is a you know a pretty solid piece of work. And um, you know, it, I, I think it is going to be quite a big success for them. So, Harry, looking at some of the content up on your
1: website. Uh, great PCs of the early 80s. Where did that come from?
0: You know, the, the one topic that people seem more excited about than new technology in a lot of cases is really old technology. <laughs> and Because uh, people just love to think about the, the, the uh, computers that mattered to them over the years. And so you'll, you'll see that most of the stuff on my site that is not about brand new stuff tends to be about old stuff. I, I have a story up today, which is... Primarily just images of old mice and other pointing devices in patent form, some of which probably never were made and others of which were made but failed. And and that thing is a blockbuster on the site. Um, So I do quite a bit on on sort of nostalgia.
1: So you think technology nostalgia is is the new black? (laughs) It's (laughs) It's, the new flavor?
0: It's just reliably popular. We also discovered at PC World that that people love to read about old stuff and, and to talk about it.
1: Yeah, when we talk about older Macs on this show, we generally start to get a little bit more feedback than we normally do. So I think that people do enjoy talking about those old machines. Even the people that are uh, relatively young in their early 20s that listen to the show, a lot of them are going up to eBay and they're buying these old machines. It's it's I don't know what you would do with an old Mac SE, but I'll occasionally go up to eBay and look, and I can't believe how many people are bidding on old Mac SE motherboards. In fact, I just saw that. On my uh, my iPhone eBay app, I was just looking for Macintosh stuff, and I saw a a motherboard for a Mac SE, and it, it was like forty something dollars. Six different people had bid on it. That's crazy.
0: Well. I keep forgetting that there are plenty of adults, you know, who who were not alive back in the early days of the Mac and the early IBM PC and and the Apple II and the TRS-80. And, and some of the people who know the most about those old computers actually weren't alive the first time around.
1: Yeah, it, it's kind, kind of, of funny.
3: I suppose one of the things is that, you know, if, if you were around during that first wave, I mean... I remember there was a lot of fantastic stuff that you just couldn 't afford to buy i mean it was it was all hundred you know th- hundreds or thousands of dollars to uh, to buy a lot of those early systems and nowadays, when you can pick them up on on ebay for for you know what what 's effectively you know small change um, you know, there is something to being able to go and get something that you aspired to own when you were younger, and actually actually possessing one. Of course, what you tend to do is you buy it, and then you realise that it's not really very useful in today's. Uh, you know, you kind of uh, you get you're spoiled by USB and, and Ethernet and internet access and all that sort of thing, browsing the web, which you just can't do on that old stuff. Well, yeah. a
2: lot of times they 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 want the equipment either to fix existing machines or you know they're going to part it out. I remember the old. Um, beige g3 desktops and towers do you remember the i think they called it the wing it was the the av in out little assembly board that that plugged into the back at one point i was looking for one for a uh, desktop 300 g3 machine and i guess this was six or seven years ago they were still going for hundreds hundreds of dollars
1: yeah it's it's crazy I, i bought a uh Newton 2000, I think, maybe three years ago. I don't know what possessed me, but it was still in the box. It wasn't brand new, but it was in the box and had every single thing that it shipped with. So I bid 25 bucks, and I won. I couldn't believe it. It was free shipping. So 25 bucks, I got a brand new, practically, still in the box, M- M- uh, Newton message pad. And it's and, probably still in the box. And it's still in the box and <laughs> it collects dust sitting on a shelf. I don't know what I bought it for, but I just wanted it. It was kind of one of those spur of the moment things. Um, it was but, like a th- I
0: think it was like a thousand bucks originally. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I remember reading all about it in Macworld magazine thinking, I really want one of these, but I can't afford that and what would I use it for anyways?
2: Now what was
3: that what was that like fold open pad that used the Newton technology? That was the uh, E mate. The E mate. Which which I, I had I've I've had one of those and a and a message pad twenty one hundred. The emate's actually really good as a um, you know, as a word processor. The battery life on that thing is about 24 hours, and it has a nice big screen and a really nice word processor on it. So, Do you you
2: think that that that's something that they could do with the iPod, put out, you know, I mean, kind of break out away from from the form factor that it currently has?
3: The iPod Um. or the iPhone?
2: I'm sorry, the iPhone.
3: But, well, potentially. I, the, the only thing that kind of goes against that is one of the first things that Steve Jobs did when he came back to Apple is he killed everything in the Newton line, including the E Mate, which was actually selling fairly well to the schools at the time. So uh, I'm, just, I'm just not sure whether he wants to go, you know, go back down that road. I'm, uh, to well, me, Apple seems to be fairly well wedded to touch. And um, you know, I, I don't, I don't see them, I don't see them building something like that with a. With well, that,
2: that, as far um, as the Newton goes, that could also have been a matter of you know not invented by Steve Jobs. Maybe, maybe, maybe. but Who knows?
1: it's hard to argue with the success that Steve Jobs has had at Apple since he came back. Exactly, sure. and uh, I think that the iPhone is kind of an extension of what uh, the Message Pad was, but it's just done right. So speaking of rumors and stuff like that, Harry, do you think that this? Fable tablet mac is going to be uh, a trending topic at all on your on technolo- technologizer see now oh. I'm, I'm tongue-tying myself you think that's something Art, you guys are going to be talking it, about
0: it already is i mean it's it's another classic example of the fact that with apple people start to talk about products before we even know whether they exist or not and and at first you just sort of speculate about it and uh, and eventually, usually, the product comes out and you can start to talk about it in its real form. And I think the biggest question right now is not so much whether there will be a tablet, but whether it might show up next month or whether it's going to be next year sometime. And over the past couple of weeks, there was one publication that said def- definitively that it would be shipping, but not until next year. And then another one said definitively that it would be shipping in September. So um, who knows? What are you hoping There's still a for? probably meaningful chance it will never ship. Yeah, well, Most people think that it will at some point.
1: If it, if it actually does ship, and everyone seems to be saying it's going to be a 10-inch because Apple took possession of quite a few 10-inch touchscreens, um, if it is real, what do you hope the product is?
0: I mean, I think what would be logical would be for it to essentially be an iPod Touch with a large screen. People always talk about the fact that um, the touch doesn't really work well for keyboards or, or large amounts of data entry, but you don't do all that much data entry on an iPhone or, or an iPod touch, and if, if it focuses on things like listening to music and watching movies and maybe reading e-books and, and surfing the web and playing games, I think it might be pretty appealing, um, even if it doesn't have great input and, and if that's true, I think the big question is what the price point is at and whether it's a price point that's going to be appealing to enough people to make it successful.
1: It's been in the rumor mill for years. Geez. Yeah, since we started this podcast, people have been talking about some kind of a tablet Mac. So, I mean, it's been a long time. I don't know. I'm hoping that it happens, but if it does happen, I, I have to assume that Apple knows what market to position it in. And... Uh, it doesn't seem like Apple could do a whole lot wrong right now, except, I don't know, maybe App Store app approvals, Harry. <laughs> a lot of news <laughs> lately about that.
0: And there was one piece of good news today. I mean, maybe the the, the first piece of good news, which was um, uh, Phil Schiller talked to John Gruber from Daring Fireball and sort of for the first time said that Apple is, is fallible and they do make mistakes uh, and they're trying at least to learn from those mistakes and, and do better. And it, it does not often you see Apple concede that they're not perfect and, and at edge. least try to learn from the things they do wrong. And, 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 uh, and that was a good feeling. And I, I keep saying over and over again, I've, I've written many times about issues with the App Store approval process that um, where I think Apple is really doing a poor job. But I always come back to the notion that in the long term, they will probably do the right thing simply because... Doing the right thing by consumers in the long term is is important for Apple as a business because they're going to be competing against Android and the Palm Pre and the BlackBerry. And if 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 they ultimately don't do the things that serve consumers, it's going to be an issue for them too. And I, I think they get that, and
3: therefore, long term, they will get it right. So going do back th- to – go ahead, David. I was going to say, do you think the um, – the fact that the FCC are now investigating the approval process around the, the Google Voice app has played a part in their, um, in their, you know, sudden apparent realization that they need to address <laughs> this issue more robustly. That I don't know
0: about, but I really hope that Apple kind of decides that rather than get really bogged down with, with legal problems, it, it makes sense to err on the side of openness. Uh, we'll see it. I would love to be a fly on the wall at Apple. Uh, as they figure out how to respond to the FCC issue. And I'm not enough of a, a lawyer or a, uh, a regulator to know whether what they're doing is, in fact, a violation of FCC rules. But, it, but I, I do like the fact that uh, the government is at least looking into it.
1: Getting back to Technologizer, I noticed that you're not the only writer on the site anymore.
0: Yeah, we, I think maybe when we last talked a year ago, I was. And I, I have several folks who write for me. Uh, every week, and guest contributors as well, too. Um, How do you find your writers? Uh, various ways. Some of some of them approached me. I, I approached some of them. Some of them just started out as readers. Um, some of them are on the East Coast because the one downside of being in San Francisco is I wake up three hours later than right. the distance. East Coast, and it's useful to have some people who are up earlier. Some of them cover things I'm not so good at. I, I'm, I'm never going to be that great at covering games and so I have somebody who writes about gaming for me almost every day named Jared Newman.
1: Yep, I'm reading his stuff right now about uh, Activision's War on Brutal Legend, which was a, a story I've been following on a couple other websites. And to come up to Technologizer and, and see it, it's like, hey,
0: look at that. <laughs> it, I mean, basically, I can't <laughs> let the gating factor for the site be that there's only one of me. I, you know, I can never go from doing five posts a day to 10 posts to 20 to 30 to 40 on my own. And even though I kind of I intentionally am staying relatively small, I'm not trying to flood the market, but I do want to grow. And to do that, I need to have other good folks writing for the site as well.
1: So do you see the, the technolo- Technologizer being more of a, I don't know, um, what's another tech website? Um, I'm drawing a blank right now. in gadget, oh, te- in gadget yeah. or Gizmodo. or Is that your competitor or are you trying to be a little bit different than that?
0: You know, I, I always feel like I compete with everybody and nobody. Uh, I love both Gizmodo and Gadget. They do 50 posts a day, most of which are quite short. You know, they're usually just a few paragraphs and a photograph, um, and they're very focused on hardware. Um, I do fewer posts, but they tend to be longer and provide a little bit more context. I, I do more reviews. Uh, I dig into fairly traditional stuff like Windows more than they do sometimes. Yeah,
1: you're more computer focused, I think, than they are. They're look at the new gizmo out here, and look how cool yeah. it is.
0: And to be fair to them, they actually, with things like Windows Seven, they will do reviews because that's such a huge topic. But but I do even a little bit more. No. Uh, and I also, to some degree, compete with 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 folks like PC World and PCMag.com.
1: Now you're a, a publisher. You're also a writer. You own the business. So let me ask you your opinion. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Mike Arrington came across some stolen documents from Twitter and decided, I, yep, I'm going to post them. Um, I made my opinions known on a blog post uh, at my Mac called Why Mike Arrington is a Pile of Crap.
3: <laughs> but so you held back some. I held back I was a little bit. Say, do, you want, do you want to just summarize how, what your feelings on the <laughs> issue were for those who might not understand? Yeah, or don't want to read the entire article. <laughs> I think the title pretty much says it all. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> but uh, I'm curious, Harry, what do you think about that? Not necessarily the, the fact that he was going to publish it, but where, where's your stand on publishing something like that?
0: I mean, I I don't think Mike Arrington is a pile of crap, and there's actually quite a, a bit about TechCrunch I like. But in, in this case, I would not have done that because the documents were out-and-out were out stolen and I would not publish stuff that had just clearly been stolen, uh, which I do think is different than stuff that's been leaked from within. Side.
1: Do you think that his rebuttal against what everyone seems to be throwing the criticisms at him about, that if it's interesting and newsworthy, he'll publish it? Do you think um, that's valid or do you think, well, you know... I, mean, you know, I, I have an interest in a lot of things, but that doesn't give me the right to to publish stuff about it.
0: That is generally true. But if if somebody had um, gone down to Twitter's offices and thrown a brick through the window and gone inside and, and tied up the employees and stolen file folders, generally speaking, you would not publish that stuff, even if you got a hold of it.
3: So, how yeah, do you Mike, think? Go ahead, David. I was going to say, Mike's Mike's defense, as far as what I could read from what he said at the time, was well. Well, I didn't steal it, so um, I'm okay to publish it, uh, and that kind of t- seems to be as far as he as he wants to go on that. Yeah, he really. seems
1: to. He I don't know. I don't see a distinction between stealing digitally and stealing physically. Like a
2: car, yeah. you know. If, you, if if somebody steals a car and, and you buy it knowing it was stolen, you're still in the wrong.
1: Well, Kellogg's is the big employer here in uh, Michigan, where I live, anyways, in Battle Creek, and everybody knows Kellogg's. Well. If, if I got some stolen documents from Kellogg and I published it online, I would expect their lawyers to come after me. Uh, if I broke down a door and stole it from someone's desk, I would expect the cops to come after me. I don't see a distinction between electronic theft and physical theft. And I I still, I just can't wrap my head around why any self-respecting publisher would think that it's okay to publish this stuff. So I, I just have a problem with that. Um, I'm glad you can that, debate
0: it. You can debate it for a yeah. long time. Because what if somebody, what if somebody worked at Kellogg's gave you a few cases of cereal uh, that, they, that they were not entitled to give you? Is is it any better that it came from an employee than from the outside? There are some people who would argue that that it's possible for employees to steal stuff too, and, and that leaks are essentially internal theft.
1: Absolutely, mm-hmm. it's a sticky subject. So where do you see? Clear.
0: Go ahead. And nobody is going to say that. That uh, the journalist should not report leaks from inside, uh, obviously. Right. I don't know. It's a it's a well, touchy subject. That, doesn't that doesn't kind of
2: depend on, on on what's being leaked? I mean, if if the documents that were leaked had something to do with criminal activity, then you know, yeah, I wouldn't have that much of a problem with with it okay. going online. But it, but if it has to do with how that business operates and, and and what it is that they do as compared to other sites, then uh, then no, it it probably shouldn't have been. You know, put out.
0: Well, one of the interesting things about the whole Twitter thing is it, it turned out the documents actually were not all that interesting, and they mainly confirmed things we knew, and it all kind of died down really quickly.
1: Yeah, thank goodness. So, a year from now, if we actually chat again, where do you see Technologizer?
0: Well, I think you'll see us being a little bit bigger without trying to to be a massive uh, site. Um, They'll definitely see us have more community features because one of, one of the nicest things about the site turned out to be that, that the people who come to my site and uh, and do comments and, and, and interact with it on Twitter and so forth are, are really smart people who do a lot of the, the heavy lifting of making it engaging. Um, you'll see some new features and actually pretty soon in terms of if you come to the site and uh, – and read about a laptop or a phone. Uh, you'll be able to do more research on, on pricing and places you can buy it and so forth. More product review? More, Definitely more product reviews, too. I, we do some now. I still feel that on the web, to a surprising degree, in a lot of product categories, there are still not enough good reviews, and you'll see us do more of them.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. That's why we do so many at MyMac, and we actually republish our reviews. If the product's available on Amazon, we'll actually publish it there as well to better inform the readers and, of course, to draw a little bit of traffic back to us. Um, It's, you know, one of those things that I don't have a problem with. And, hey, heaven forbid we get some more readers because someone wrote a review of ours on Amazon. That's give and get. Yeah, well, that's true. Are you at all interested in going uh, the the weblogs kind of uh, route in that you create different websites on different subjects and have different people writing those?
0: I think that's a possibility. It's certainly something we've given some thought to. Um, you know, I, um, And I certainly thought about it originally, and I, I kind of came to the conclusion when the site got going that it made sense to stay intentionally small because the smaller you are, the less resources you need, and actually being, being tiny increases your chances of viability right now as, as opposed to being large and, and having lots of employees. And... Uh, and running something that takes a lot of money to keep going, so I would say that to some degree, I've, I've on purpose kept the site fairly small and, and tried not to spin off things. But I, I would, I think there are product categories that could use a technologizer of their own, and you might see that at some point.
1: Yeah, I like you know, vintage computers—that's one. Uh, patents, electronic patents—that could be another one. I don't know if the secret origin of Clippy would definitely warrant its own (laughs) website. (laughs) But but the golden age of electronic games itself, I mean, there's website after website after website dedicated to that. But most of those websites are, you know, not laid out real well. It's hard to find what you're looking for. And you might hit it once or twice, and that's probably it. Where if it was done with someone uh, uh, with your background, I think that would be something that would be a daily visit.
0: I know I would have fun doing if that if that became possible.
1: So we want to wish you all the best. I'll continue to read, and, of course, uh, I'm sure that most of the people listening to this, if they're not already checking out the website, will after listening listen to this podcast. Uh, just go to technologizer.com. If you don't know how to spell it, just look on the show notes at com. We'll have a direct link. And, Harry, we want to thank you for being on the show this week. Thanks, guys. Anytime. And we'll be right back.
2: Hey, welcome back to the MyMac.com podcast. We're going to start off talking about our, our sponsor, Otherworld Computing at maxsales.com. We're going this, there, guy. That's right. We are. We're, in, going, uh, we're October. going to
1: visit. Do you remember the exact date? I'm, I'm pulling up iCal right now because I am going to say
2: October 10th?
1: October, no, it's October 24th.
2: Well, so, if you if you divide 24 into 10, you... you know, okay.
1: <laughs> so we're going to... Uh, I think you're probably going to fly in to Chicago?
2: Yeah, you Yeah, I worked uh, out those details no, and, yet? And airline airline prices have just become ridiculously cheap right now. You know, like last week I was in, went to Fort Lauderdale, and uh, uh, my flight from Baltimore round trip was like 140 bucks. Wow, that's not bad at all. No, and you know I stayed at uh, my brother Larry's house, so that didn't cost me anything. And you know, I mean, the, I think my biggest expense was my rental car.
1: Yeah, that's usually the case. Nice thing yeah. is um, if we could time it right, I could actually pick you up there because I'm driving to sh- the Chicago area. It's only where Otherworld Computing is. is only like three hours away, so it's not a big deal for me to yeah, drive the Honda that, over. And I might actually get caught up on my podcasts. I'm mm, so yeah. far behind. I don't drive every day when the kids aren't in school, so I, don't, I get so far behind on the podcasts that I like that uh, I, I feel kind of guilty sometimes. But speaking <laughs> of podcasts... This one is a paid spot cat podcast by our sponsor, and you were mentioning something.
2: Yeah, Otherworld Computing and ProSoft have a bundle right now. Uh, these are two programs that that typically go for about a hundred bucks hundred bucks each. For one hundred and nine dollars, you can get ProSoft's Drive Genius Two and Data Rescue Two.
1: Hmm. Now I have to say, um, before i replaced the hard drive in the macbook pro that i've talked about in the last couple of shows right uh, i wanted to limp it along for a while and it was drive genius was the only thing that was helping uh usually ProSoft makes great software i think with drive genius 2 they made great great software it's just it's so fantastic guy um, yeah
2: and and it's gotten it's gotten great reviews from you know mac life and mac world all you know for all, for all these years and, and mymac dot com you know you get you get powerful management tools you get maintenance tools optimization tools it's just it's just great and and it doesn't really require a lot to run it, and the, the way they have it laid out it, it's very visual so you you don't really have to you know get out the manual as oh well how does this function work you know it, it's all pretty much laid out right there in front of you
1: it's great software and I'm uh you know we did something real special at the last Macworld Expo and the one before that where we actually did a contest in their booth on the showroom floor and we got to meet pretty much all the people behind Prosoft engineering. Right. And there's some great people that work for that company. And I have to say, you know, for for us to be able to talk about their product even if they have to buy it through macsales.com which is what I prefer. Everyone listening to this do, <laughs> for obvious reasons, follow the link from my dot com over. Um, right. it, it's it's simply fantastic software, and the people that are behind this software, seriously, guys, they're really, really great people. Now, I don't say that because they've spent money at mac before, because that doesn't entitle them to to get a favorable
2: any special treatment. No,
1: you don't get a favorable opinion for me just because mm-hmm. you send me a check. I'll make up my mind by the, you know, who the people are, what the product is like. This is a good company with good products, so I'm I'm happy yeah. to, to promote yep. it.
2: So well, and, and the yeah, other, yeah, other program, the other program as well, Data Rescue too. I had a I had a hard drive in my old uh, G4 tower that was just completely hosed, and the only thing that that brought it back and allowed me to get all my stuff off was Data Rescue.
3: Huh. And I, yeah, I think it's worth saying with with this sort of product, it's it's tempting to say, oh, you know, if I ever need it, then I'll buy it. But actually, if you're and having a problem late. with your drive, that's too late. You don't. You're not going to want to wait. And with these sorts of products, you want to buy it, buy a retail box copy because then you get a bootable DVD, which allows you to boot off and actually run the thing uh, against a failed drive or a damaged drive. Um, and that's, I mean, you can you can buy this stuff direct from ProSoft. Uh, and buy it online and download it, but then you have to pay extra if you want to get a DVD image. Then you have to burn the DVD image, and you need to have a working computer to do all of that. Yeah. So, you know, yep. if you ever think, you know, if you're the sort of person who rather than, uh, if you get a fail pro- a problem with your with your Mac, you're going to take it up to an Apple store and let a genius sort it out, you think you're going to sort it, try and sort it yourself? Do yourself a favor. Go out and buy the software now. Stick it on your shelf, and then when you need it, you'll have it. Yep.
2: Uh, and this is a great bundle. This is Data Rescue yeah, $1 2 $1, $9, uh, uh, for $109. He $1. <laughs> <I> said Dollar <$1 laughs> nine. Yeah, nine
1: would be a really great price. <laughs> I'd buy everyone That's a copy for that price. Right,
2: Drive Genius 2 and Data Rescue 2, both from ProSoft Engineering for $109 from for- MaxSales.com.
1: So a couple of programming notes next week on show 253. It's going to be a listener invite. We're going to have Justin Bryce on the show. I'm looking forward to talking with Justin, learning about him and his computing. And he actually had a podcast, guys, so we'll talk to him about that. <laughs> and uh, next week also, I'm hoping that by the time the next episode of the podcast comes out, this will be done. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll see. But I'm going to do a video review, which I've been wanting to get back into some, but I just haven't recently, like in the last year. And uh, what I'm going to do, I'm going to do a video review of Navigon. It's the turn-by-turn-based software for your iPhone 3G. Um, I, I'm using it with the 3GS. It works fine. Uh, think of it as a Garmin or a TomTom. Tom. That's basically yeah. what the software will do. And, and this,
3: is, this is the first of two or three different net, uh, of these sorts of turn-by-turn products that are now coming out with the 3.0 software. Yep. So um, it will be interesting... To, to hear what your take on this one is and then maybe look at some of the others as as and when they are launched. Yes. Now, that's software only, right? That is
1: software only. I, you know, I was really looking forward to the TomTom, Tom, but then when this one popped up out of the blue, I didn't even know this one was going to be out there until I got the PR message and then uh, a review copy of the software. It's 100 bucks, but I believe it's still sixty nine ninety nine right now, introductory price. Uh, they sent me a, re- a review copy, so I didn't have to pay for it. and Because, uh, honestly, I probably wouldn't have paid for it. Um, without yeah, seeing you, you the review. a review, so I have you. a GPS. But you know, it, it's such a pain in the butt to carry my GPS with me all the time. So the only time I take it is when I know I'm going somewhere where I don't know where I, you know, I, I don't know where I'm going to go. And a lot uh, of times, the, I'll actually be in the car, and someone will say, "Hey, can you stop by this place?" And if I don't know where it's at, well, with the GPS yeah. built into the phone, pff, it's simple.
3: Absolutely. Yeah, as long and as the, you know the, the address, you just plug it right in. The other thing as well is that with a um, you know, with a standalone GPS, that's not the, that's not the sort of thing you want to leave in the car when you park it up. No, it's a theft magnet. Yeah, exactly. So uh, having it in the phone is a very nice solution because that means obviously you don't leave your phone in the car, so it's always not it's always not in the car. As long as you get rid of those sucker marks on the windscreen in yes. case the uh, yeah. the thieves decide just to uh, put a window in and see if you've got one hidden away in the car somewhere, you'll be okay. Yeah. Well, the
2: other nice the other nice thing is it's one less thing you have to carry. Yeah, and that's
1: always a nice thing. Absolutely. And there's problems with GPS on the iPhone that I wanted to find out if real-world situations. What I'm going to do is I'm enlisting the aid of Chad Perry, ex-co-host of this podcast, still a really good friend of mine, and he's going to uh, man the camera for me, and we're going to plug in an address and see how easily the phone will get us there. Uh, we'll do a couple tests while we're doing it we'll have someone call me and uh, because if it's software only and you can't have background apps running on the iPhone what happens when you get a call right um, or if you're
2: using your if you're using it as an iPod that too that, yeah, will it will it interrupt your music momentarily to tell you that you have a turn coming? up?
1: Yep. So we're going to do a video of all that so everyone can see with their own eyes and hear exactly what happens. I already know what's going to happen in all those situations because I've been using the program for a while, but yep. I'm, I'm not going to give it all the way here on the podcast. I'll talk about it on the podcast after the video is reviewed.
3: Uh, and and you know, as I say, there are other products coming as well. So we'll you know I'm I'm going to be looking at, at trying to get hold of so a British one called Copilot that uh that has just recently uh hit the market here uh and again that's a software only product. and then obviously we'll have to see what we can do about the TomTom when that finally launches because that's hardware as well
1: yes and uh, you know even if they don't want to it depends on the price but you know if it's a hundred bucks i'll buy it myself personally if it's 200 bucks i don't know we'll have to see i mean that's a lot of money yeah it is um Uh, Happening's up on MyMac.com right now. We've got Maxpiration, number 115. Donnie Yanklow has an ITV hybrid. He switched over to Verizon Fios, and he wanted to uh, you know, get the ITV working again, and he came up with a solution. Uh, It's a pretty good solution, too, so that's definitely one to read if you have Verizon Fios and uh, looking at or already own an an ITV. Uh, Trend Smart Surfing for Mac. This is a good idea. This is a product that I think more Mac users don't have but need. Uh, it kind of protects you on your computer from phishing scams and stuff like that. You know, Mac users are very content that we don't get hit by viruses, guys. And it's true. We we, we really don't have to worry about viruses or malware and stuff like that. But there's other problems that we can come across as easily as PC users, especially phishing you know, you, you click a, a link thinking it's going to take you to your like PayPal Bank account. America or something. Yeah, and it's really taking you somewhere else, and you, it, it even looks like it's taking you to the right address in the toolbar. This is the kind of program that will protect you from that. So uh, Gil Poulsen did the review. He gave it a 4.5 out of 5, which is just fantastic score. Definitely go up there and read the software and see if it's the type of software that you want to uh, go up there and read the review and see if it's software that you want to pick up for your machine. Uh John Domorowski did an N plus wireless route with router with USB storage port. Interesting. And Donnie Yankelos Macallies. I don't know why I can't say Macallies right. It's it just I want to say Mac, and then I want to say Alley. It's two separate words, but it's Macallies. <laughs> we had that problem in the uh, what was it the Oh geez um, Macrolexpo guy when we were doing the uh, Talking to him on the showroom oh, floor.
2: Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't say it right. He's like, nah, 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 nah. Nah. So,
1: McAllie's Bluetooth keyboard and mouse. So, those are the latest happenings. Have you guys noticed that we've
3: got some uh, new blogs from Otherworld Computing on the site? Yeah, I saw those, and, um, you know, I, I thought they are quite interesting because I've, I've been receiving email from, from OWC uh, sort of highlighting these things, but it was good to see them start coming up on our blog as well.
1: Well, you know, I, I go up to their website to read these blogs because they're very interesting, and I finally talked to them, and I said, you know, we have this blog thing on our website. This is useful information that anybody could use. Um, I will turn on blog access for you guys if you guys want to start posting some of this content on our website. And they they did it. And we did the same thing with Small Dog Electronics back in the day as well. Right. So I'm happy to, you know, yeah, it's an ad uh, in a roundabout way, but it's useful information that Mac users can uh, really benefit from. So I'm happy to have that posted up on MyMac.com. Before we wrap up the show this week, uh, we had a couple topics we wanted to get into. And we talked about um, one of them with Harry, the FCC investigation. But let's talk about that a little bit more, David.
3: Yeah, I mean, for, for anybody who's not, who's not seen this, there was a, this, this kind of kicked up at the end of last week. Uh, there's a, an application that was submitted to the App Store called Google Voice from Google. Um, and this is a companion application to the Google Voice service that used to be called Grand Central. It's only available in the U.S. at the moment. And what, what Google Voice is is kind of a, a virtual phone for your phone. So it's a virtual number uh, you could get assigned a new phone number, uh, and it uh, effectively it uses sort of IP conversions to route calls to whatever device you want it to route to. So you have a single phone number, you can put that in your business card, and then whenever anybody calls it, um, the, uh, that goes to the Google Voice server that will then forward the call to wherever you want it to go, to be it's your iPhone or your your home phone or maybe your Skype account or something like that, whichever way you want to do it. But obviously that's incoming calls, if you want to send reply and and, and it's got voicemail and transcri- it will transcribe voicemail to email and all sorts of very cool IP f- uh, phone features, obviously if you want to return those calls and reply to those calls, you want the number that the uh, the recipient of the call sees to be your Google Voice number, not your iPhone number, your home phone number. And the Google Voice app uh, allowed you to do that and to control your Google Voice account. And Apple pulled it from the App Store and also pulled a, um, a separate third-party program that somebody had written to do the same thing with Google Voice um, because they said it duplicated functionality on the phone, um, on the iPhone. But obviously, that's kind of a bummer for people because, you know, they really want to be able to integrate Google Voice with their iPhone. Uh, And the rumors have been swirling around about, you know, whether it was Apple who pulled it or whether AT&T put some pressure on to pull it because they've put pressure on in the past with other. There was a a video streaming app from uh, also tethering apps. uh, Yes, I think Sling Player. Yeah. yeah, Sling Player, which, uh, which uh, streams streams TV from your TV to the Internet, um, they wrote an app for the iPhone, and um, and a- a- Apple, Apple uh, limited its functionality at the behest of AT&T, so that it only works on Wi-Fi. So um, there is a history of AT&T intervening to try and protect the integrity of their network with these applications, and what's happened is now the FCC has written letters to Apple, AT&T, and Google, basically saying, What's going on here? Um, it looks like you guys are colluding to deliberately limit the market, um, which is something we're not happy with. What's going on? We're expecting uh, you to explain. And of course, there's been a series of, um, you know, backing away by uh, by all the parties, AT&T, especially AT and T, who are saying, "Oh no, we we have nothing, no, we nothing to, do, to with do with that. that. Oh, we all have that. nothing to do with app store disapproval, despite the fact that our record is saying they limited the Sling Player app." So. It's uh, it's a bit murky uh, and, um, you know, really I was wondering, you know, do we think that that, um, AT&T is the bad guy here and, uh, you know, if Apple maybe were a bit more upfront about what their uh, app store policy was, maybe they wouldn't be in this this situation. And, you know, this is something that has been going on in the mobile phone industry for years where uh, carriers artificially limit the applications and functions of Particular handsets because they right. want to uh, they want to engineer the market and yet Apple and Google and AT and T the ones who are now being investigated um, presumably because the iPhone is fairly high profile so I just wanted to to get your guys take on it and think uh, what what does this really mean
2: you want to start guy sure I'll start um, it doesn't surprise me that that you know or it wouldn't surprise me if AT and T wasn't at you know part of of the uh, the the issue here you know they're 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 really you know basically any added functionality that the phone doesn't have built in or even if it does have it built in they want to get their cut of the pie from it and and they're willing to go to pretty much any lengths to do it what did surprise me was how quickly and how strongly they denied having anything to do with it when it's it's pretty obvious that that I'm sure there were some phone they calls back and forth. They,
1: actually, guy, let me stop. Yeah, they didn't okay. outright deny it. They, they they said, "Oh, we don't have anything to do with the approval process of apps in the iTunes Store." That's not an outright denial.
2: Okay, but isn't that but isn't isn't it kind of six and one half doesn't have another? No, I don't think so well, not at all. It's
1: that, corporate that, speak. That's exactly yeah, that's, the point. It's not that, that's not a denial
3: that's been drafted by a lawyer that because that that basically implies something without actually directly saying it so that's basically a case of CYA uh yeah I think exactly that. I mean, I'm sure that statement is absolutely 100% true. They have nothing to do with the approval process for okay, the app store. Okay, w- but, but that does not mean.
2: Coming out and saying that that they didn't contact Apple to, exactly.
3: to exactly. question that them mean, and yeah. say,
2: well, you know, there's this little app that that we're not real happy with. And, and gee, we'd, we'd consider it a personal favor if, if you could uh, kind of take that off. Yeah, I, I, sure. I can't
1: imagine Apple would really have from a corporate standpoint, any objection to the software. I mean, it doesn't hurt their, any of their core businesses at all. In fact, the more no. software that runs on the iPhone like this, the more attractive the application or the platform is.
2: Right. They're selling hardware.
1: I think one of the biggest problems, quite honestly, isn't this particular subject. It's, or or not subject, but, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, it's not this one time that this has happened i think that the main problem with all of this is the transparency that apple has or doesn't have approving or disapproving apps that even when your app is disapproved many times apple is not helpful in letting the developer know what the real problem is and what they can do to get this approved and i think transparency and having um clear-cut rules that's not vague is going to be the key moving forward. And I think Phil Schiller actually contacting John Gruber of daring fireball says a lot about what's going on in Apple right now with a app store approval process that they realize at least upper management now is realizing that this is starting to become a major issue and they have to address this. And I think that's where uh, we should focus our energy, not, you know, who did what or who said what, because we're never
3: going to figure it out, but,
1: where the problem really is And I think it's the transparency
3: uh, but it's certainly, I mean when you have a regulatory body Like the FCC becoming involved I mean that you know, significantly raises The stakes of uh, Some of these decisions I mean the FCC are already talking about Looking at exclusivity um, with with phone with phone suppliers. So well, now you know, is the,
2: that is that just because of the iPhone? Because that's been going on for years. No, I think yeah, it's well, a the, bigger the, thing. But you
1: know,
3: yeah. The, well, the, the difference is there's a new administration and there's a new head of the FCC and uh, this is somebody who is, first of all, is much more technically savvy than than the previous
2: uh, head of the FCC. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, and maybe. And,
3: no, and maybe about it. <laughs> I know that, that yeah? was
2: that was sarcasm.
3: Yeah and and secondly I think we have an administration now that is no longer uh, completely at the behest of lobbyists and uh, big corporations. Amen. Uh, and I, and I and I think they are they are you know they've identified the cell phone industry and the carrier industry as an area where um, people they have are uh, Yeah people are are um you know getting taken advantage of and um you know and I, and I think I think Exclusivity is certainly an interesting area to discuss, particularly in your markets in the states, where you do have these very big rural areas, where I would imagine there are thousands of square miles, where effectively there's only one carrier uh, and, and one class of devices, and that that probably is pretty is is not much fun for um, for uh, anybody in that situation. So so well, that's one thing, but I think you know that that is just the first of obviously you know with this move now they are they are starting to take a much closer interest into, into how some of these deals work. Well, now,
2: and, talking about talking about that, if they came down hard on, and, and we're basically talking about the carriers here, not so much the handset makers, Apple ends up being the big winner because they're able to get out of their exclusive contract without
3: being penalized for it. Well, let's, let's not prejudge. What comes out of it. I mean, I think, you know, an investigation and, and a few letters is the start of it, but whether that will end up to substantive changes, or whether it will just force the industry itself to change the way it does things will be interesting to watch, but I, I guess it's, uh, it's early days in that, so we'll, we'll see how it, how it pans out. Last
1: story I want to talk about before we wrap up this uh, podcast, talking about big corporations, the biggest game developer out there in the entire world, is Activision slash Blizzard. I think that's it's Blizzard Activision or Activision Blizzard. I forget what they call themselves now. But obviously, I talked about on the show a a few weeks ago about StarCraft 2 specifically. I like that game. Well, I don't know. It hasn't come out yet. But (laughs) I'm pretty sure I will. You were looking forward to it. I was looking forward to it because I was invited by uh, the Blizzard PR people to participate in an early beta. Yeah, it's yeah, not going to be as easy as you
3: thought no, it
1: like. <laughs> it looks like the, the game's been pushed back to 2010. I'm really not surprised. Um, I, obviously, the beta will happen before then. And the, it looks like the problem isn't necessarily on StarCraft II, but on Battle.net, their online multiplayer software that allows players to play against each other. And uh, uh,
3: and and is the is is going to be the only way that players can play each other?
1: Yes, it's not going to support oh. WAN and or LAN support. And I don't know. It's this is such a big program game in South Korea. I mean, as Americans, we think of football. Uh, over in the UK, you guys probably think of soccer. In North Korea, they think of StarCraft as their big sport. The, the people who are champions of StarCraft in that country are rock stars. It's just amazing. Yeah. And StarCraft two is going to be massive in South Korea, no question about it. And to get rid of local area network play is a big deal. And I think they finally figured out what's going to happen to their network <laughs> when literally millions of StarCraft two players in South Korea alone jump online and start playing against each other. So I would rather them delay the product and make sure that the online component is working
3: really well
1: rather than release a product that's really buggy for months and months.
3: But here's the thing, though. <clears throat> I mean, I'm not particularly interested in online play. I'm not either. No? And so why is the single-player, standalone product being held back for the for the purposes of not being able to play online? Why not launch it on schedule with, uh, you know, standalone support and then patch in the Battle.net support at a later date? Um, I don't know. I think that the online
1: component is uh, just part of the game now, Um, unlike the way it used to be where you'd have to click a button and click another button and click another button and then it looks for players to play. I think the online component, always on internet. Um, You remember when StarCraft first came out, most people didn't even have a 56K modem. I mean, it was over
3: 10 years ago. But here's what's worries worries me about about what you've just said. That that's absolutely fine. You know, online is much more in the middle of gameplay than it used to be. Yep. But you know what? I can see a situation where if you don't have an online connection you can't even play the game because it does some sort of DRM thing before you even log before you even go. Even if you're not planning to play online. Yeah, I don't think they're going to do that. Um, well, you, you, the thing is, I mean, you know, um, well, you're Valve getting kind of close to
2: that with yeah, with Valve as well. With,
3: with Valve Steam service, you, you it's very diff- you can play the games without having a connection, but you need to have a connection to get started and yep. get an account going. And um, you know, there can be circumstances when those things decide they need to validate the network and they can't. Um, you know, nothing got, nothing happens. Yep. The other risk with that approach. Looking at it from a corporate view, and I'm thinking of Activision Blizzard now as, a, as an entity rather than Blizzard development themselves, is that, um, you know, one of their biggest properties is World of Warcraft, which is an, an exclusively online game that you play by paying a monthly subscription what worries me is that at some point they may turn around and say, well, actually, yeah, you'll, you'll buy um, StarCraft, but after a while you've got to have a subscription, it, or, or you, ha- you need to have a subscription if you need to play online on Battle.net.
1: I, I, well, they are saying that. Uh, you can't play on Battle.net without a subscription. Um, that's already a known so, fact. You, so, if right, you want so to play online, you have to have a, a, a valid copy of the game, Your CD
3: key has to work, and you have to have a Battle.net user ID. But Yeah, but will you have to pay for access to Battle.net to play online?
1: Well, we'll find out. I don't think that they're going to go the pay route. Uh, I don't think that this is the kind of game that lends itself well to a monthly subscription fee. But I don't know. We'll find out. I mean, this game is going to sell like gangbusters. And I can't imagine it's going to be cheap to run the servers for the next 10 years for people to play online against each other on this. But I don't know. It's it's one of those situations that we're just going to have to wait and see how it happens. I I don't think they're going to go subscription online play. I, I don't. But I could be wrong. Of course, yeah, I was the guy I, who reviewed Warcraft or World of Warcraft and said... Uh, no, it's no good, because no one's going to pay $15 a month to play this game
3: after paying 60 bucks to buy the game. <laughs> I was a little wrong on that. And and that's really what worries me, is that actually this will be kind of a stealthy way of actually setting up a similar type of, of, of service. And, um, you know, I, I the, the problem I have with this, really, and, and you know, this is just off the final point from me, is that, um, you know, everyone knows this game is going to be huge. And it just seems to me that it's being milked for everything it can it can be milked for they're already talking about you know split, splitting up the the races that you can play in there you you might have to buy separate copies of the game or extra copies of the game if you want to play all the campaigns now you know all the subscription stuff is coming to the fore and all the the free land stuff has disappeared it just i just i I'd, I'd, I'd hate to see a fantastic property like this get spoiled because somebody got really really greedy
1: so with that, we're going to wrap up this show, uh, episode 252. We'll be back again next week with our listener invite, show number four. And uh, if you want to send us feedback, we'd really, really appreciate it. Feedback at MyMac.com. And for David, Harry, who was on earlier, and Guy, I'm Tim Robertson, and we're out of here.